Welcome, listeners, to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today, even though it's a new episode, we have a returning guest with us, Stacia Deutsch, who is a writer of about 40 bazillion books. Well, we might get a more accurate number, it might be closer to like 35 bazillion books, mainly for younger audiences. So, Stacia, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you so much again. I'm happy to be here for a second time. And I'm happy to have that distinction. It's quite an honor. We'll put a link actually in so everyone could check the first interview we did with Stacia. We're not going to recap all that so that we can listen to that and then you'll listen to this one. It'll be so much good stuff that you'll hear. But since the last time we spoke, I saw these stats, which, you know, statistics, 85% of statistics are made up or something like that. But the place I saw it on, I was kind of like, I don't know how true this is, but I could kind of see it being true. Where it talks about, first of all, the amount of people who want to write and actually get published off, so that's one number. But the amount of writers that make it, that have one book out versus three books out versus, let's say, you know, five books out or eight books out, the numbers dwindle drastically the more you go. So you can have these writers, okay, Harper Lee is probably the greatest example of one book. And I don't think anyone's written a book that's come anywhere close to To Kill a Mockingbird, but she had one book and that was it. So... You have this distinction of having, I don't know, do you even have a count? Just uh, many, many, many's? Like, it's incredible. I'm going to say, though, if I had to kill a mockingbird, I wouldn't write another one. I'm just saying. And, you know, she does have a second book, the one that they, like, dug out of her notes after she died. Right. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but she didn't put it out. Yeah, that's true. That's no, true, she did though. not. Yeah. And I'm hoping that somebody goes through my notes after I'm gone and gather a couple more bajillion books. So I'm somewhere around 350 books. Wow. And when I say that, people gasp. Yeah. But first, don't forget, they're short. Second of all, this is all I do is write. I'm not trying to balance another career as a lawyer or a teacher or a whatever. This is literally all I do. So I've created this amazing niche for myself where there's a lot of work that comes my way. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. But I mean, I'm super lucky. Like, I'm just so, so, so lucky. I would still take the one to kill a mockingbird over my 350. <laughs> If I could just have, like, one Harry Potter novel, I would be okay. <laughs> I want an amusement park. There you go. <laughs> and film adaptations and all that, yeah. And maybe a Broadway show. Yes. I think it's asking a lot. That, not at all. <laughs> what is that really in the grand scope of life, to ask such I things? Know. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a good starting point to how you do have so many books. It is writing a lot, but it's also, you said they're short, so what's the word count? What kind of length are we looking at for these kinds of books? So... I think, you know, we've determined the accuracy of statistics. Yeah. Let's use that 80% number. Most of my books are mid-grade for ages 7 to 11 readers. And a manuscript length can be about 70 to 100 pages for one of those. And after you've been at it a long time, and I, and I know like you write and lots of your listeners are writers, you get a real vibe on how many pages you can legitimately do a day before your eyeballs fall out of your head and you yeah. want to cry. I can write seven to 10 pages a day. So if I spend, what, two weeks on a really strong outline for something and I can put down seven to 10 pages a day and a book is 70 pages, you're talking 10 days of barfed out writing. If I have a really strong outline, then that writing only has to be gone through a couple more times, right? Because you've done all the front work. Sometimes I wish you could just stand on the outline and jump up and down a few times and it would like poop out a book. That would be awesome. 
because you've done all the work. But when the outline's done, you're like practically done. You're like, all right, let's move on. New project. If that's how you work. I mean, I know some people are like, just like dive into an empty page and swim around. It's not my style. I, I do all that front work. So everything is done, done, done by the time I sit down to write. And when I get off the outline, things tend to go really astray. And I end up deleting chapters because I just went nuts. So that said, so I can judge my time and I can say, okay, this is how many pages I can write a day. And then I know when I self-edit, I am 20 pages an hour. I just wow. know. I've been at it a really long time. So you kind of get a vibe for what you can accomplish. And that allows me then to pick up projects and to pace my projects and to stagger them because I know what I need to do. I have written several things that are much longer and it's really daunting. And it's much harder for me to keep track of what happened to the backpack on page three when I'm on page 296. In a 70-page document, I mean, I still lose track of this backpack, but I have a greater grip on my world when it's like a small world. Would you also say that having this stronger outline, is that sort of like a first draft for you when you write a very strong outline? Is it detailed enough to sort of kind of... That way, but yeah. I certainly could say that it could be. Yeah, in many, many ways it is. And I work out so many of the kinks in the outline processing. And I even put things in there like motivation or personality or what are they thinking about, blah, blah, blah. All goes into the outline. So, yeah, in some ways, I wish that people would just read my outline. Oh, we'll pay you for the outline. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> Do you show anybody that outline or that's just for you? If someone's coming to you and you're writing on a property, like a My Little Pony or whatever it is that these things sort of exist already and they want you to write a novelization of it, do you show them the outline once it's strong enough to say, hey, here's where the story's going, let me know now if there's something that you don't like about it or that's not how it works? Since some of your listeners haven't listened to my other talk with you or just don't know me, although they're more than welcome to reach out and get to know me, a lot of what I do is hire work for the publishing houses. And that's another reason I have so much work. Let's take Little Brown because you said My Little Pony. And I didn't do My Little Pony, but I did Spirit Riding Free. And I did seven books for Little Brown. Three books. Okay, I knew it was a horse. There's a horse there somewhere. I'm just going to go to a different horse. They'll say to me, here's episode four in season two, and here's episode five in season two, and we want a story that goes between. Now, for that one, I may outline it and then work back and forth with the editor. And in fact, in some of those cases, they then get it approved by the licensor too, right? And they'll say, okay, this is cool. Let's get going. Sometimes it's a lot more vague. When it's more vague, and if I'm not on a non-disclosure, I have my own friends, my father, people who I rely on, who've got a good eye, who won't just tell me, that's awesome, Stacia, yay you, but will really push me to think about it. So I try very hard. It's almost like having a writing group when you're just working with an editor to put together an outline that makes sense to me and makes sense to them. Often, if you're doing a licensed property, they want to approve the outline. There's actually, sometimes there's an interesting process where they'll say, okay, we need a book that takes place in the spring. What do you got? And then I'm like, okay, I'll give them five ideas. Like, you know, a couple sentences. I don't know. The girl feeds the horse an apple and the horse gets sick and now they want to know why the apple's poisoned. I don't know. I'm like, whatever, just make up stuff. Right. Uh, the horse is fine. The horse is always fine. But I'll make up like five different topics and then they'll say, okay, can you look at number two and let's flesh that one out? Then I'll write like a four-page outline for that one or five-page or whatever. And then we spin from that. I like that process too. I like just throwing out ideas. For me, and I don't think a lot of writers always enjoy a collaborative process, 
But I really like a collaborative process. I like knowing that I'm not alone in it. And I like bouncing my ideas off other people that I trust. So for me, that's part of the fun. Well, and then your outline, is it a chapter by chapter breakdown? Or is it more of a plot character sort of breakdown? Chapter by chapter breakdown. I like to know where I'm going to start and where I'm going to end. I find that one of my weaknesses is ending on a cliffhanger. I really like to end a chapter all tied up with a bow. I get called out on that all the time. So in the outline, it's much easier for me to see where those cliffhangers are instead of them hanging by a tree off the side of a cliff. And my natural instinct is to rescue them before the chapter ends to leave them there. And so I literally break it down like chapter one, this is what's going to happen. Chapter two, this is what's going to happen so that I can see the whole thing. Would you say creating a cliffhanger then means that you have to end in the middle of a scene before the resolution of a scene occurs? Yes. You want something that's going to get your reader to turn the page to the next page. And where I am such a pretty bow person, I just want everything to be happy all the time. <laughs> hey, it doesn't really push people to turn to the next page. So in terms of that's one of the places that I want to work harder on as I move forward in my writing career. It's interesting because it's not a matter of it's a good book, so people are going to keep reading it. We want them to keep turning pages, but if you resolve a scene, even if you resolve it on the first page of the next chapter, it doesn't matter as long as the previous chapter ended with a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the books that you've read. How many times do you look up and you're on chapter 35 and you don't remember ever seeing a chapter right? Right. It's because those flowed so seamlessly together. So it was like a double thing of just, oh, well, because it wants to keep feeding you into the next chapter. So it works like that and also to have the... I guess the suspense of the, te- the tension for turning the page. Yeah, and it literally can resolve it in the first sentence on the next chapter, but what you did was you got your reader to turn the page. Well, so And not put down the book and go take a shower. You want them to stay on the couch. Right. That's interesting stuff to know. What other kind of stuff do they want to make sure are in these, these books that you're writing? As far as like the writing technique stuff, so they want to have cliffhangers at the end of chapters. Off the top of your head, one or two other things that are like, these good stories will have X and X. If you could say stuff like that. In some ways, it's just the stuff that you hear about writing anything, right? Good characters, good problems. The character has a want and a character has a need and they're not necessarily the same thing. The character needs to grow, right? All those things that for me to be able to see it in five pages over an outline, now we're really talking about like my outlining process, I guess, is much easier than for me to see it over the course of 70 or 80 pages. So I can see what's going to happen and how they're going to grow. In terms of nuts and bolts, For me as a writer, and I stand on my soapbox and scream all the time, there's a structure to writing. And I know that some people can get away without following the structure. But there's so much freedom within that structure that if you look at something like Blake Snyder's Beat Sheet, Save the Cat, and he's got Beat Sheet for novels too, they're very specific turning places. And a lot of that comes from screenwriting for me, but it works in novels too. By the end of chapter two, they need to be like faced with the problem. Let's say doing a 10 chapter book. By the end of chapter eight, you resolve the problem, but not really because in chapter nine, it's going to happen again or something more exciting is going to happen. And then in chapter 10, you're going to resolve the whole thing. So there are little places that carry the structure of a novel. And I find that those things help transform a novel into something, I don't know, wonderful. I used to have this picture on my desk that was a painting by Picasso of flowers in a vase. It was just like a postcard I had picked up. And it served to remind me that Picasso really knew how to draw things that 
quite normal. Yes. <laughs> yes. He went bonkers and blue and put noses where your ears are. And reminds me that all the time. That in terms of writing, there's a structure. For me, that structure is compressed into my outline. But within that, once you know to work the structure, once you've got your building blocks, once you can draw your flowers, you can put your flipping noses anywhere you want them. But there's like a fundamental to it. So I always say Save the Cat is a great book to get the fundamentals. Something like Chris Vogler, you want to read the hero's journey and you want to read it over and over and over again once a year so that you just know what goes on in the hero's journey. Call to action. You try to refuse the call. You can't refuse the call. The point of no return. Whatever. Those structures just drive storytelling. They are our still life that we need to conquer before we go bonkers. Before we all go bonkers. (laughs) Okay, I've given you my lecture. I got nothing else. No, that's good. So here's the other question. Can you get a sense that maybe someone's following the structures too strictly and then the storyteller might be a little bit stiff because you're like, oh, they read the book. They knew that this page, this must happen. Or the structure is solid enough that it doesn't matter how closely you follow it. Framework and the progression of your story is going to work with the structure. I can't tell you that I've ever read one that I'm like, oh... I don't like the structure of it. I can tell you I don't like the character or I don't like the writing or I don't find the person compelling, the narrative compelling or the plot went crazy. But I've never said, oh, I really wish that the mentor had appeared earlier. Right. Okay. I've never, ever done that. In fact, see, you're just like tapping into like my crazy wild brain right now, but I heard that the Wedding Veil series on Hallmark Channel is super popular right now. So I watched all three of them. And they are the same movie. All three of them are the same. So what makes them different? And what makes people want to watch, like, another Hallmark Christmas movie? It's the exact same one as the one before. But there's something familiar and loving in that structure. And, you know, this is how it's going to roll. It's the same for the books. That structure is familiar. And then all those things that you plop on top of it are what make your story special. Yeah, someone might be asking, so where does like a twist come in? But the twist is, at this point, the villain is going to be made known. But the twist is that you didn't know who the villain was? Or is that something that's, it's like a different part of writing than the structure part? No, it's, there are twists in every single beat that you do. It's like a gap. That you write in, what they say, right into the gap? Like, isn't that a thing? Like, there's always twists. So as you go through it, things will always turn on themselves. But the call to action is always going to be the call to action, right? Somebody's going to come and say, I need you to do blah, blah, blah. And the person's going to say, no, thank you. I don't like going outside. (laughs) No, you must go outside. And then the person steps outside and they realize their house locked behind them. And now they're stuck in in the thing, right? So... Within that, there are a bunch of twists, right? Yes. And those twists just fall naturally within that structure. And you can choose. Reveal your villain on page one or reveal your villain on page 150. It it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like you're building a house. Every house is going to have a foundation if it's going to stand. Every house is going to have sort of kind of some sort of wall-like something. Whatever that structure is going to be. And then every house, then it looks different after that. Because the way you design of it, it's all different. But it's, it's still a house. And it would be pretty cruddy if you built a house without a bathroom. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> you know? Or a bedroom or a kitchen. But I don't think it slows down any famous architect to be like, oh, man, I have to put a bathroom? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can 
Right. Sometimes the kitchens are upstairs if you're in like one of these sea places and you're getting a better view of something or it could be downstairs. But somewhere there is a food place yeah. for the inhabitants of the home. Yeah, so that kind of makes sense because that also shows that there is a, a broad variety within the structure, within the framework. Yeah, and I mean, we can kind of come back to where we started, which is for me, it's outlining. Okay. I can see all of that so much more clearly when I do an outline. And then I have like this structure that I can just work off of. And that's before the characters even start talking in my head. So then as soon as I kind of know Sally's going to do this and just going to do that, they're going to go on this adventure and whatever, fall in love at the end. I don't know. Then I can start saying, okay, I start to hear Sally who's afraid of the outdoors whining in my head that she does not want to get dirty. And Joe, who loves the outdoors, begging her to get on the horse or whatever. It all starts kind of filling out like an orchestra in your head. So yeah, you get the basic storyline down and then you start exaggerating or focusing on whatever the quirks are going to be, whatever the challenges are going to be from the character's point of view. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, kind of a process. I guess I've never really like broken down my process until right now. Thank you very much. You're welcome, yeah. Now you can do a lecture series on this. Uh, you know, Stacia's process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, people. Sorry. I'm starting my own podcast. <laughs> great. Great. I'm going to insert myself into it somewhere. And just be like, by the way, if you want the origin story for this podcast, refer back. We'll just ask about something a little bit more specific now. And I don't remember if we spoke about it last time because I don't know how recent these are or maybe part of it. I saw something that you're working on. I don't know if it's like a remade or just another series version of the Boxcar Kids. I'm so excited about it. Oh, okay. Yes. Is this recent or this was going on for a while already? It hasn't even come out yet. Oh, okay. Um, so this is new. I just saw it on, is it Albert Whitman's coming out with it? Yeah. I saw it posted today. I haven't had a chance to go through my emails, but somebody sent me the ad from Albert Whitman today. Yes, I saw it probably a half hour before we're speaking now. And I was like, wait a second. Oh, the covers are so cute. Did you love them? I love them. But first, well, I had this moment of, I know that person. And then I was like, <laughs> wait, it says Boxcar Kids. Wait a second. The bo- box, like that's a whole, but the Boxcar Kids already exist. But you also want me to write it. What is even going on? How does, what, how does this happen? <laughs> This one's super interesting to me. I actually told this story yesterday. They're doing a podcast. So if you guys listen to the same story twice, you know it's me telling the story again. So many moons ago, many, many moons ago, I was at a book expo and I saw an Albert Whitman booth and I saw the Boxcar Children books and I don't know what made me do it. I walked up to the booth and I said to them, do you ever hire freelance writers? And very few books like at that point. And they were like, why, yes, we do. And so I can't remember like what happened after that. I think I, I had to write a sample for something, blah, 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 whatever. I ended up writing boxcar children novels. And I wrote about, I think, eight, nine, something of them. And in fact, I was not completely honest on my way into this. I had never written a mystery before. I literally had no idea what I was doing. And now you're in like this classic world because so many people know and love the boxcar children. And so many of our parents know and love the boxcar children. It's been around that long. Right. It's been around Really, really long time. So kind of after having done a bunch of these, an editor from Whitman came to me and said, they're going to take auditions for this new series about Jessie. So Jessie is 12 and she's been 12 since like 1940. But she has her own personality and she's usually the one that kind of does research. She's very matter of fact. She's not the silly one. Her brother is the silly one. She's not the artsy one. Her sister's the artsy one. But she has her own thing going and 
They told me that the story is going to be about Jessie. She's going to middle school and she no longer wants to do mysteries. She wants to find her own thing. They gave me an outline and I worked off the outline and I wrote a sample chapter, a couple sample chapters for them and I got hired for this job. And it has turned into the first four books of this brand new series. And the first two of the Jessie files come out at the beginning of April. And then they'll just go from there and we'll see how it goes. To be in this boxcar world and the modernization of the boxcar world is so fabulous. It's like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes. <laughs> They're not out yet, so we don't know yet if fans are like, we're so excited. But it's like, it's not the real boxcar. This is a good series, but it's fake boxcar series. Or do we know if people are reacting like that? I hope that they don't. Simon and Schuster didn't let Nancy Drew stay in her time capsule. They've put Nancy Drew into like modern times, given her a cell phone. Now she drives. She has a computer. The same thing for the boxcar children world. And I'm trying to do some things to bridge those, to bridge the span of time. I've gone through a bunch of the old novels and sites. There's fandom like crazy for the boxcar world. Like, Pulling old restaurant names from some of the original novels or street names or parks, places that they went. So where I can add my own spin to them, I'm also trying to pull things from the past to create a really cohesive world for Jesse and her friends. Right. You did go through all the original boxcars or you just kind of took some at random to get a general... Well, I- yeah. I've read a lot of them because I had written them. The ones I wrote were even more modern. I'm not looking at boxcar number one. Well, I look at that now for <laughs> some of this. And then I had written some. I remember pitching them a story. At one point, they were like, do you have any ideas for a boxcar book? And I was like, yeah, there's like this school newspaper, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, no, the boxcar children don't go to school. There's like 147 books. Are you serious? Oh, they don't go to school. I was like, okay, that is very odd. But in the Jessie files, it all is around her middle school. So apparently she now can go to school, which is awesome. Yeah. I understand that they loosened up on some of the boxcar novels too, but there were like these weird rules for it. that You can't call them kids. You can only call them children. I think a lot of that stuff is kind of loosening as we go. Do you know why any of those? Or it's just that's what the original authors wanted? I think that the editors at Women were trying to follow in the footsteps of the original series. And so they have all these kind of rules for it that had come out of the original series. I mean, I don't know if when they acquired the property, they were like, you must have watched the dog in a book every time. But they had given us a Bible or there was a big long Bible of what the boxcar children could do and couldn't do. And literally for the Jesse Files, we've thrown that out because I have it. Maybe that's one of the reasons that they hired me because I had been seeped in that tradition. But sometimes they stick me on it too. And they're like, no, no, no. Like you can say other things or you can do other things now or let's like move Jesse ahead, which is great. It is my hope that fans of the old series are going to see this new Jesse file series and be super excited that she got her own book. Who chose Jesse? Why, why is Jesse the one who gets her own book? They brought that to me. They explain why you could take any of the characters. It doesn't have to be the one who's like the right age for middle school. You could make one older, you could make one younger, you know, you could prequel, sequel it. So did they say any reason why they wanted Jesse or just, we no, like her. I, and <laughs> I don't think I ever asked. It seemed like a pretty natural, I mean, Benny is perpetually six. So you could do a Benny <laughs> series to be a much younger read. Right. Violet is perpetually 10. That's also a younger read. Jessie is 12. That makes her about the right age. I think Jessie has some maturity. I think that there's lots to be gained and lots of stories to be told about kids in middle school. Middle school's a tough time. And Henry was always the older. So you could take Henry and do like a pretty cool kind of early YA stuff. 
with him. Right. A little bit like Hardy Boys, a little bit more dark. But Jesse seemed to be where it just fell naturally for the mid-grade audience. And that's where they wanted to take it. This is the first time that they've tried to launch these into that older reader. And it's just my hope that kids are going to fall in love with the boxcar children as young readers. And then continue with it and follow Jesse as she gets older too. And that would be awesome. Right. Well, is there going to be an allowance for her to get older? Or does she also have to be perpetually 12? <laughs> well, she might be 12 for a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, as I write a series, too, I have to be really careful. Like, how far apart are these mysteries? The seasons change? I mean, we talk about that stuff all the time. This, I'm giving you, like, a really good peek behind the curtain. So we talk about that, right? But if you think about, like, long-running television shows... The Simpsons never grew up at all. That's true. <laughs> My son works in TV and he told me once, you can have all the growth you want in a television episode, but by the end of the episode, they pretty much have to be at the same place they were at the beginning. Well, yeah, we're going to have a long series. I think any series is a little bit like that, especially these series that have hundreds of books. We're on book four. I can only hope there would be hundreds of books. I worry more about keeping the mystery fresh. Yes. So there's still I, I mysteries. Yeah, and sometimes okay. I think about these series that have been on forever, like the murder she wrote kind of thing. How on earth did they keep coming up with murders <laughs> police <laughs> files yeah that's true well modernizing it does kind of allow for different mysteries i, I suppose or also going to school is going to open up different sort of mysteries even if it's kind of the same thing of like a stolen something but now it's a different setting it's a different place it's, there's a different approach to the whole thing there's a few crimes but there's just a lot of different versions of those few crimes exactly yeah exactly but you know, how many times can jewels get stolen? I mean, I guess it could be it's, diamonds this week, emeralds next week, and pearls next week, you know? How many ambassadors do you know? Yeah, exactly. I guess it depends also, and this you sort of know, right, if you're already working on the fourth book, if the books are written as kind of sequels to each other, or each one is its own standalone thing, and the passage of time is going to work differently. Yeah, and so I am doing that a little bit. I am saying a little bit like, oh, this happened in the last book. I, do, I don't want each book to be reliant on the book before, but in the very first Jesse Files, I introduced that Jesse's friend Sharla has a bonding moment with this other boy, Daniel, over their love for comics. So great. Without saying, oh, it's comic book edition one, comic book edition two, comic book edition three, I can continue to pull from their love of comics. Yes. Right? It's very different. And I wrote some early Nancy Drew. I wrote some Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew. And they really didn't have any kind of structure like that. You could put anybody in the town that you wanted to in those books. Each one was completely standalone. Besides her friends, George and Bess, every novel, she could have different friends, different interactions. Oh. I don't want that to happen with these books. Because they hired me, and so far they haven't hired somebody else to like carry the series further. I'm hoping that we can keep that thread. Every book isn't completely unique. They don't have to build on each other, but they should have some commonality. That would be my hope. And also the certain familiar characters. Like if this guy's the baker in the town, like he's going to be the baker sort of thing. Yeah, and the teachers are going to be the teachers and the mentors are going to be the mentors. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be what I would want. Unlike those other Nancy Drew where every time it's different. Right. And then you said something about how they're being released, two of them are being released in April, so it's kind of like a back-to-back -back release. Yeah, I think it's like Netflix. Netflix is now like releasing two at a time, too. Yeah, all the episodes at once, right? Is that just because you have the books ready or they're doing that intentionally? Because then once the first book out, they want the reader to automatically have a second book to pick up. Yeah, that's they're doing it intentionally. Whoa. So there was speed writing those first couple. I feel like now I'm getting a chance to slow it down. And in the first couple of books, I was not as involved in the outlining process as I am now because we wanted to launch those books together. There was a little bit of speed to it. Not that I can't handle it. I mean, right. We started this whole thing by talking about how quickly I can write. Right, right. I can obviously handle that. 
but I like a little bit more give and take on the outlining process, and I like that I'm a little bit more involved now. So it's cool. It's all cool. Yeah. Did it help to be able to write two at once? Because then you, after you wrote the first book, you're working on the second one. You're like, oh, one second, I'm going to change it. So you go back to the first book to change it, but you can't do that once it's been published. Yeah, that's actually cool. In fact, we like caught some things. I'll leave it to the readers to let me know if they catch something that I was like, oh, whoops, I changed that in the second book. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I will point out to you, I hope that no one at Albert Whitman gets mad at me. Look at the cover of the second book. Sharla is not wearing glasses, which I clearly gave her in the first book. Oh. So then the question was, do I go back and take out Sharla's glasses or not? So... I made it pretty clear that Charlotte only uses the glasses for reading, which is why she can never find them. But that's like one of those things that I just want that line to go through that Charlotte has glasses that she needs for reading and they're new. So she doesn't always have them. So it works with the second cover. But it was a moment that gave me pause to say, okay. And I had access to the first book. So I could say, I said to them, oh, quick, do you want me to take out the glasses? And they were like, no, it's fine. It's the mystery of the missing glasses now. Book five. Yeah. It's an Easter egg for the upcoming book. What happened to Charlotte's glasses? Yeah. Anybody who's listened to this far on your podcast who says to me, I know about Charlotte's glasses. I'm going to be like, yeah. <laughs> I that. That's going to be the secret handshake now. You see Stacia, you say the missing glasses. And it's like, you are in the club right now. That's right. We don't know yet what the club is. We don't know what it provides, but it's, it's there. And it's there for those who know about the glasses. Exactly. But you're right. It's kind of cool to have two books coming out at the same time because I could really quickly be like, wait, hold on. Do you want to change it? Do you care? Do we not care? Does it work? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got that with a trilogy I'm working on that to be able to work on the second book before the first one's out. It changes things because going back to be able to change things is really helpful. (laughs) Yeah. When you're in your second book, you get what you're writing so much more. Good as you are the first time it's not as deep as the second time. That's all. It's just factual. Oh, you know what? I think about it in television. I think it's because both of my sons work in TV. The pilot might be meh. And people are like, oh, but by the third episode, it was so gripping. I think, okay, so we pushed so hard for a review for book one. You know what? Slow your roll. Maybe you could do the review on book two or book three. (laughs) You know, it's curious, and I guess you'll see this now between, or I don't know if you've seen this already, if you will see this. Sometimes you see the pilot kind of throws out different options of where the story could go. And once you've actually seen the full season or you've seen, let's say, six episodes, you realize that they've discarded either certain characters or certain storylines. Assumably because once things started happening, they realized like, oh, this is not what we want from it. I haven't seen it often, but I've seen it before where it seems that they're setting up a certain character and then the character doesn't return and you're like oh, I guess maybe that character didn't resonate the way they wanted to, so they kind of just moved them out of the show. See, wouldn't it be cool if, if you know you're doing a series? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be great if you knew that at book one, but sometimes you don't know that until book six or whatever yeah, it is. Sometimes they don't give you book two until they've seen the sales on book one. Right. You just want to be able to just wait, because book three is going to be the best one. Yeah, <laughs> Once you're contracted for these books, do they must be published? As far as sales numbers go, is there, theoretically, you're on contract for them, they got to get them out there, or is there any, you know, barring anything? They will publish book four, and then we will reevaluate. Although, they'll probably reevaluate about book two. Right, like, how's it going, how readers are spawning, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm going out into, like, pilot season, and we'll see how it rolls. Yeah, okay. Because it feels like it might be a little bit different when it's the company that's contracting it, licensed property, versus you just coming up with a story on your own because there are writers who sometimes they wrote two books and then the third book the company's like oh never mind we don't want to publish it or if it's just well write book one and then we'll tell you but here you've got contracted from the outset for four books so 
Yeah, which is great. Which goes to show, like, they're supporting the series, too. That ad that you saw today or whatever, they're doing a lot to support the series. And so I'm doing what I can to help support them supporting the series because I want it to succeed. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. For them to start a new series, I guess we could kind of call it a spin-off series, right? That's a massive investment for them because of all the marketing and whatever's going to go in it. So you'd hope that they want to see it partially through, at least. Yeah, and sometimes I think you're in a big house, you're kind of a mid-list writer, you sell them, I don't know, the book of your dreams, and they don't do anything to help market it. And we hear that from writers all the time, right? Yes, yes. You know, on And I remember when my first series came out, like, I would go out and I'd be like, I was on the news in Denver for my very first series, directing people to the bookstore, and then my dad called me, I'm over at the bookstore, they don't have the book. Oh, like, oh. wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's very helpful. Yes. <laughs> There's no guarantees for it. But I think that what Albert Whitman is doing to support the series and to support me behind the series, you'll go to the bookstore and you're going to be able to look. That will be terrific. Yeah. And also these days you've got online shopping. So as long as it's and available somewhere. Yeah. It will be available. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess we'll sort of wrap up with this just because even with them putting the money into marketing or they are supporting the series, that's the broad term we'll use for this. There's still going to be certain aspects that's kind of expected of you pitching in wise. So does that mean you got to show up to certain kind of book fairs or you got to pair in different places? Is there any sort of like, hey, look, we're setting you up for five talks or does that kind of thing happen or, or how does that work? So I'm pretty excited about it. We'll see what happens. They teased me by saying that there may be a website specifically for this series. Wow. That's no more. That would be so cool. The thing is that I feel like I'm in partnership with them. So whatever they want me to do, I will jump. Yeah. Because I've published so many other things, it's a different kind of experience, actually. I mean, let's go back to the spirit books that I would write these books, but they didn't. Spirit books are going to sell on their own. Or sometimes I'll do a movie novel, like I did the Boss Baby 2 movie novel. Well, they're not going to be out on the road and have me promote the Boss Baby 2 movie novelization. That thing's just going to sell because kids are interested in the Boss Baby 2 movie, and that's that. So this is a little bit different kind of experience, I think, for me and within this publishing house, that they want... To put me behind the series, they want the series to succeed. You talked about they put a lot into creating a spin-off series. So there's just more at stake. It's not like a kid going to their school book fair is going to automatically pick up a Boss Baby 2 junior movie novelization. So it's a different experience for me too. Often when I do a book of those 350 books, my 85%, you turn in the book and you walk away. And that's the end of that. So this is like a cool experience and a good space for me. And I hope like a great space for the book. Tell everybody, April, go get it. Yay. Yay. What else aside from the boxcars have you got either coming out this year or within the next couple of months? What are some of the other stuff you're working on that you could talk about? Um, Yeah. I like to do one individual project each year, whether or not it sells. Most often it doesn't, but you know, why not? So I try to do one thing that's not contracted each year. So I'm kind of messing around with a project on my own. And also, I have a system for who I talk to about higher projects and what I'm doing. And I just got hired to do some ghost story revision, which is so not like me at all, because I do like happy and bows and not really things that go bump in the night. And I am having the best time doing that. Oh, cool. I'll let you know when those start coming out. Uh, I picked up two books for that. Wow. Oh, and you saw the Albert Whitman ad. I have a short story in Coming of Age, which is a B'nai Mitzvah anthology. 13 stories for kids who are coming up to bar mitzvah. Cool, too. We're promoting that a lot. Proceeds are charity that 
other authors in that series and coming of age or in that anthology are amazing. I'm like in the best company of my whole life. That team is super organized as well in terms of getting out and getting the word out that this book is out there because, you know, being 13, whether you're Jesse or you're any other child, hard age. So I think that both kind of speak to that and what that means. I'm pretty excited. I've got two books coming out in three, I guess, two Jessies and one coming of age coming out in uh, April. Yay. Oh, that's exciting. Thanks for asking so I can like brag about all these cool things that are going on. Well, yeah, and you know, anything that getting readers and writers excited, it's a win-win. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. Very good. Well, Stacia, that's, thanks so much for joining me again. It's a lot of fun speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me again. I look forward to our third time. I'd like to start smashing records on your <laughs> We'll have our own series going. <laughs> Same time next year? Who knows? This was a bonus episode of Oh My Work podcast featuring author Stacia Deutsch. To find out more about Stacia and her work and to check out the first episode with Stacia, please check out the link in the episode notes. Keep track of Oh My Work podcast and all the great stuff we're up to. Boss on Instagram at Oh My Work Podcast. And please check us out at eltenamount.com. News goodbye to Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.